Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, what began over a year and a half ago in the United States is a temporary measure to keep us safe from this virus which came in from China, but we couldn't say that it was coming in from China. So instead, we had a two-week lockdown, which is now extended into something much more um, sinister, and I'd say metastasized is a pretty good word, where now we had some limitations on our freedom short-term Now it seems to be spreading to all aspects of our society and around the world, and we need to name this thing and figure out what it is and know what to do about it and what it is in terms of our threat to our freedoms. And the man who I think has all the answers, and we were talking about this before, he's going to tell us how to our way out of this, uh, is Jeffrey Tucker, who's the founder and president of a new institute called the Brownstone Institute, which I think has got a fantastic purpose. Uh, Jeffrey's the author of many thousands of articles and scholarly papers and uh, pieces in popular press, and he most recently wrote Liberty or Lockdown, which is going to form the basis of what we talk about today. He's also the editor of The Best of Mises, and uh, I've been been hoping to get him on. We had him on via Zoom last year, and I think this is going to be fascinating follow-up. So, Jeffrey, you founded Brownstone Mm. Institute, Mm. and you've got a unique focus for this, which is different from a lot of think tanks Mm. or action tanks that that I'm familiar, that that have been formed for more general purposes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had a sense on March, I guess it was March 12th, 2020, that the world had uh, become a, a different place, a darker place, a strange place, unfamiliar place where just overnight, uh, government on its, on its own, many governments around the world, the U.S. in particular, we decided to disregard all human rights and law and principles of virology and uh, commercial freedom, uh, religious freedom. You know, it all just went away. Tr- the freedom to travel, you know, it was all just shut down. And I thought, I, who, I didn't know I lived in that kind of world in which government would do something like this. I knew the power was there. It has been there for about 15 years. But the idea that they would actually deploy it was astonishing and really depressing. And I knew from that moment that our lives were going to be fundamentally changed. And I knew my life would change dramatically. I threw myself into cell biology and you know history, looking at the pandemic past, a lot of the articles, uh, chapters in that book, Liberty Lockdown, discuss how we dealt with pandemics in the past. In the modern age, in the 20th century, we did very well, intelligently. And suddenly 2020 2020 comes along and we decided to forget everything and and pursued this insane experiment in human separation and uh, mass management of the unmanageable. And the result has been demoralizing and depressing and and shocking in terms of, of all things public health. Well, you organized the Great Barrington Declaration. Tell me about that. Well, that came about on August 5th of 2020. But uh, 
that was when it was signed. But Martin Kuldorf and I connected with each other, I think, sometime in the, it must have been July or he's August. The epi- he's the, he's uh, the epidemiologist at Harvard, one of the world's yeah. leading uh, statisticians in epidemiology and uh, really a, a master. And uh, I saw that he was tweeting against the lockdown. So I thought, that's remarkable, a Harvard professor. So I invited him over to uh, meet to meet. And we got together, and he said, do you know what the real problem is? The problem is that there's a lot of journalists out there that don't understand viruses and and public health. Let's have a meeting, which we invite journalists, and I'll get three, I'll be there, and Jay Bhattacharya will come, and Sunetra Gupta from from London will come, and we'll educate the journalists in the basic principles so that they can write better stories. It was a really naive thought, right? We didn't realize at that point that the entire media was completely captured. I mean, right. he just presumed that they just had some, some ignorant reporters. I mean, we need some smart reporters. Um, one of those reporters who came to that meeting was David Zweig, who turns out to be one of the best writers on the topic, and he writes for The Atlantic, and he's a good guy, mm. and he gets, he gets it right. Um, and he's involved in Brownstone, too. So it, it, that, it wasn't entirely a mistake, but the point is that after that meeting, uh, Kuldorf said to me, we need some kind of statement, an open letter of some sort. And so over the next, I don't know, 10, 12 hours, we knocked out the, I didn't, I, I, I had contributed very minor editorial uh, changes to it, but mostly it was a Kuldorf, Sinatra Gupta, Bhattacharya document, and they delivered it out there. Now you have three top scientists taking issue with lockdowns, uh, asserting the basic principles yeah. of of viruses and public health. That's all it did. It was not a radical statement. It's very moderate and plain, but, you know, we live in extreme times. So people are, uh, if you oppose lockdowns, if you oppose these these mandates, you're called all kinds of names, you know? Uh, well, well, look, well, let's establish some predicates here. I, I think, I believe, and I believe most of the scientists involved with Great Barrington believe this is this virus is is is, is much ado about nothing, and that uh, you know the survival rate of COVID is over ninety nine percent. I think right. it's ninety nine point five percent. And people talk about excess mortality, more people dying. There has been no excess mortality oh, because there is, of this. To the extent there has been, it's mostly been among younger people that are not uh, not dying of COVID. So a lot of people. Have have died, but but from lockdowns, a lot of lockdown deaths. I think that's ultimately what it'll show us. Well, there's the price. It's the, it's the lockdown. The yeah. cure has been worse than the, yes, the disease by, by, by far. far. And yeah. then, uh, you know, there's been a lot of mis uh, mis mis uh, attribution of death to COVID. Oh, sure. There's a lot of incentives to that. So the number of COVID deaths we believe are vastly overstated. I believe that. But by twice as twice as many, at least twice as many. Yeah. And then the I guess the another. Thing I wanted to establish is that uh, the average age of death for a COVID, so-called COVID victim, um, is is they're older than the standard mortality table. So mm-hmm. the average victim is older than they would have died based on just regular uh, mm-hmm. uh, life expectancies. And in 99.2 percent of the deaths, at least one had a very severe comorbidity. Mm-hmm. That's right. So. Mm-hmm. This is the t- this is not the Spanish flu of uh, no. of 1918. I no. mean, it, do you is, is that an ac- you you studied this a lot more yeah, than yeah, I no, have. I, 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 I put myself I in the amateur everything. epidemiologist category. No, but. I agree with everything you just said. And what's strange is, and that this was an alarming discovery over the last 20 months, is that you cannot really trust the data. You know, whether it's the 
the PCR tests and the number of false positives, there's an article in the New York Times that came out, I think, in July of 2020, uh, showing that over a two-week period in Massachusetts that 90% of the uh, PCR positive tests were false positives. So we don't actually, we don't actually know. And then you've got the mis- So the PCR test is the swab and the- Yeah, yeah, okay. it depends on the cycle, uh, cycle rate you, put a, put, you, you turn it to. You, know, okay. you, you can discover the virus. So the presence of a virus in your nose does not, uh, does not indicate sickness. So we got really confused over the course of the pandemic between cases and, and um, uh, infections. You know? um, so you know, we used to distinguish really carefully between the case fatality ratio and the inf- and infection. A fatality ratio. Now we we don't even uh, distinguish between those things. It's one thing to be carrying around a virus, another thing to be sick, and we don't even make that distinction anymore. So that's just one of the basic principles of of infectious disease that that was long settled. That's mm-hmm. just that's just gone. And and so now you we don't even have we lost the use of the term cases. Like it doesn't even make any sense anymore. So a lot of these charts and graphs you see all the time, you know, you're, it's actually unclear to what extent. Uh, they're reflective of reality. You know, you've got you've got uh, we've got problems of uh, the number of uh, tests, the amount of tests that you're doing, whether the tests are accurate, whether the tests are being classified correctly or not. So the data is 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 a mess. It's going to be years before we figure out actually what happened over the course of last year. If we're allowed to figure out what happened, right? I mean, that's the problem. There's so much blackout, so many things you're not allowed to talk about. Um, yeah, I know. I had an article uh, just yesterday blocked by LinkedIn. It was actually, I, I tried it several times. That's like, a badge of honor. Like, yeah, it was, it's like magic, right? So you post, you know, your article, and then you refresh the page, and it's gone. You say, well, that's strange. I could have sworn I posted it. You post it again, refresh the page, it goes away again. But this is very interesting. So you invite others to try the same thing. Hey, try to post this article, see what happens to you. Well, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried to post other versions. What was, it, what was the article about? Uh, that was the, 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 the Purge Has Begun, uh, the, the article on the political... Which is on your website. Let's right. establish mm-hmm. you can find everything on the Brownstone, on the Brownstone Institute website. website. Yeah. And I, you know, I have no problem putting it out on Twitter. It's fine. Right. Um, and nobody else is blocking it. But you know, you worry about these tech companies at this point. If, if LinkedIn will just take down an article, there wasn't anything particularly censorable about it. Um, what happens next? You know, is it is it uh, Facebook? You know, and, and then comes Twitter, and then comes the third party providers. Am I going to be able to use Mailchimp to send this out to our subscribers? Then is my web hosting service going to be leaned on? You know, they can they can come after you these days. That's the power of the tech tech uh, companies. And what's strange is they're ideologically committed to this to this COVID panic. They're they're committed to the lockdowns and and political in a very strange way, Bill. Um, someday you and I will have to try to figure out what happened to the tech sector that used to be more or less sort of had a libertarian ethos to it and how something happened. Uh, well, the, the original world. idea with the Internet, we were all excited, was, yeah. gee, we're going to have total freedom of speech. Right. Anybody, you know, let all, let all uh, voices be heard. The, the marketplace of ideas will sort it out and we'll, we'll have... Uh, a libertarian nirvana. That's right. I believed all that. I and, not only believed, I wrote it. Matter of fact, I think you... <laughs> I wrote it, it was you that made me believe that. <laughs> Mea culpa. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, Murray used to warn me about this. You know, I used... Is that Charles Murray? Uh, no, it's uh, Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard, okay. Yeah, b- yeah. B- before he died, because he, he saw me as just like a ridiculous, uh, like hopeless optimist. 
<laughs> and I said, you know, there's so many aspects of you. It reminded me of those late 19th century liberals, you know, uh, <laughs> you know like uh, Mark Twain and uh, uh, who's a great guy. But uh, many, many of these people, he said, they all they were all a little bit Whiggish. You know, they they believed that humanity had this infinite capacity to learn from its mistakes, and that now that we've discovered peace and prosperity, the the, the key to peace and prosperity will never go back to the old world. He said, and they got uh, relaxed, and they got uh, deterministic in their outlook, and they stopped fighting for, for freedom and rights, and just hoped that history would somehow magically unfold in our favor. Then World War I happened, the worst calamity that humanity had basically ever seen on a global basis, right? People so, don't understand how bad World War I World War really I was, was terrible. So Murray, Murray well, told yeah. me, he said, he said uh, the, this, this, an attitude of inevitability is, is very yeah. dangerous. Well, <laughs> that's another. I, I want to I go down that rabbit hole with you, but maybe not right now. So it, I, what we want to establish, though, is that we don't believe that the disease is, is the, the lethality and all the, all the things associated with have been vastly overstated. For sure. Well, they had to be. Had and, to then be. The, and then the cures, the lockdowns, the masks, the uh -huh. social distancing, there's no evidence that any of that works. No. And, and, and yeah. 18 months ago, you could say, well, gee, maybe just to be safe, we ought to keep people from interacting with each other. Maybe. But now we've got, the, we've got a South Dakota versus North Dakota comparison where, I guess, in the case of one, they locked down, and the other, they didn't at all, and, that, and, the, and, the, and the disease rates were... Uh, we're the same. Yeah, it's true all over the world. I mean, you can't you can't come up with a single empirical example anywhere. And so. you've written extensively about this is not just a United States phenomenon, but this is sort of maybe the English-speaking world or all of the West. I mean, everybody seems to be Australia, uh, New Zealand, all these countries seem to be um, more um, draconian about the lockdowns and the and the preventative measures. Yes, uh, there, but for the grace go. Uh, us really when I look at uh, but for the grace of God go us because I look at the Australian situation these are civilized people highly educated you know with the tradition of liberty and a love of liberty and they have turned themselves into a totalitarian police state uh, there are aspects of the US that have become like that but I think we've missed the worst part of it what's also strange right now Bill is that it depends on where you are right I mean if you're in Florida right now life feels more or less normal from everything I can tell uh, but in the northeast of the United States today, everybody's still in this, in this constant disease panic. Plexiglass hung between every uh, you know, shopkeeper and the customer, and people walking around in masks, and, and Karens are still patrolling the uh, grocery store aisles to make sure you're walking in the right direction. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Many schools still shut, kids all masked up. I mean, just in the airport today, it's just, it's just awful to see these children in masks and and uh, mandates and people screaming at each other, get that mask over your nose, and so on and so on. It's just, it's just all nutty. The things that we've done to control this virus that we can't see, this invisible enemy, uh, it, it feels mystical and magical and superstitious. It's like we had to f believe that there was something we could do to control this pathogen. We've never attempted anything like this before. And it didn't work, obviously. You're, uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Jeffrey Tucker, founder of a, of a terrific new uh, group, the Brownstone Institute, and we're talking about, I don't know, what are we talking about, Jeffrey? The insanity of all the, all the, all the measures we've taken to protect ourselves against something that looks an awful lot like uh, 
um, not that big a deal. So what's the theme of your piece that you just wrote, and what's, what, what does Brownstone want to do to, to, to help us well, shape Brownstone debate? must be in a position to respond on a daily basis to the unfolding of events and explain them in light of the previous experience and try to carve out a narrative so we can understand the chaos of our times. This is one of the keys here, is that there's so much changing so fast, and we get so used to the despotisms of last week uh, uh, that the despotisms of this week, you know, they may shock us, but then there's going to be another ramp up next week. And, 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 and it's all, it's happened slow enough so we've gotten used to it, but fast enough so that we can't really process it intellectually or morally or spiritually. So that's really what Brownstone is trying to do, uh, you know, provide the kind of research and the narrative uh, history of our times so that we can understand the way all these things are linked and to not acquiesce to the idea this is normal. This is not normal. And, and it's wrong. It's contrary to public health. It's contrary to, to all of our traditions of, of law, uh, our belief in equality and, and human rights and freedom. And we need to see this. I mean, these days, the very word freedom has become, come to be used by these public health officials as if it's some sort of slur term. Don't tell me about your freedom. I think Fauci even said something like that. So we, this cannot stand. It cannot stand. There has to be some voice of opposition and so, somebody with precision and knowledge and focus. And that's what Brownstone is about, with a larger vision, uh, which I would call a traditional classical liberal vision. So who, who, are, who are affiliated with you now? What, who are the people uh, writing uh, on this and who, the, who are making common cause? Uh, well, I've, I've worked very closely in the founding of this thing with Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford and Martin Kulov of Harvard and Don Boudreau of George Mason uh, University and George Gilder. So the four of us, five yeah. of us really were the... Uh, Sunetra Gupta of Oxford wanted to be involved, but she was she had been so rattled. You know, a, a, a life of... A, a quiet life of a scientist and a theoretical epidemiologist and sometimes novelist threw herself into, into, this, into this battle over the Great Barrington Declaration because she was horrified by what was unfolding. And then she found herself pilloried uh, in, within the British press. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, her life really just shattered, and she just, just could hardly stand it. So she was really in favor of the founding of Brownstone, but she said, I just, in my interest of psychological sanity and stability, need to kind of withdraw from public life for a little bit. So she gets in to say it's brutal the way she was treated. Well, the, the, you know, this all is, seems to be theological. We've got the uh, governor, mm -hmm. you quoted this in your, your, her in your article, mm -hmm. her tweet. She yeah. tells us, um, in the case of the vaccine, yeah. the vaccine is from God to yeah, us. Right, and, and so you're a sinner if you don't take it. And we must say, thank you, God, for this vaccine, yeah. and we owe this to God, we owe, and I need you to be my apostles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this didn't surprise me. This is, this is crazy it's stuff. It's crazy stuff, but it didn't surprise me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, on February 20, 28th, uh, 2020, the New York Times published an op-ed by Donald J. McNeil, who was then their leading virus reporter, and what he said, with the title of the article was, to deal with the coronavirus, go medieval on it. He said, we need to reject all 20th century principles of public health, where we just dealt with the pathogen, you know, in terms of doctor-patient relationships. 
and instead lock everybody down, shut the highways, ground the planes, uh, uh, freeze everybody to suffer in their <clears throat> disease-ridden cities uh, as, if, as if this is the Middle Ages. This was his article. This is what he wrote. Well, that's what we did. So, you know, we just reversed 500 years of history. That was an astonishing piece, a, a, a wild... Uh, uh, By what authority did he write that? Did he is this was this uh, a, a so-called scientist? I mean, what what was his? Well, uh, the, he writes for the New York Times. What other authority do you need? <laughs> <laughs> he's their virus reporter. No, he has a degree in rhetoric from Berkeley. See, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, he did very well because look at the result. He's very talented, very talented guy. But wow, later fired. Late, later fired. I'm sure you know that saga. But yeah. but but look, we went medieval, and so of course, then we started with the segregation and the stigmatization of the sick, and the uh, 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 the creation of a new feudalism where you're a central or unessential, depending on uh, what what the lords and the, the manor have to say. Uh, we created a, a wild privilege for the professional class to stay away from the disease while the working class delivered them groceries. And the New York Times advised everybody to this effect. Stay home and have your groceries delivered to you. That's interesting advice. You notice their advice is not deliver groceries. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> they know who the readers of the New York Times are. Right? Well, the so, New York Times don't deliver groceries. And then, they, you know, they're, they're, they don't, they're not driving no, vans. No, that's right, that's right. And then you <clears> had <throat> de Blasio and, and uh, Andrew Cuomo, the now disgraced Andrew Cuomo, um, uh, blaming the uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish communities for continuing on with their, with their funerals and their weddings and their normal life. And then singling out, imagine that, singling out the Jews for spreading disease. Yeah. You want to go medieval? Here we go. Let's yeah. go. You know? So the fact that we now have this theological overlay to the, to, the, to, the, to the vaccine, basically with the governor of New York presenting the vaccine as a kind of sacramental, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't surprise me. It all goes with uh, the territory. It's pr a pre-modern, brutal anti-scientific approach and, and, that's, and, and done in the name of science of all things. Well, how do we how do we you, how do we get people to think differently about this? That's 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 the job of Brownstone. It is we, the job you, of Brownstone. You're really making the case for freedom and. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I like what what happened in 1957 and 58 and 68 and 69, or for that matter, 2006, 2009, 2012, 2013, 1929, 1942, 1943. <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. Yeah. What happened then? <laughs> they were all, you know, p pandemics. There were viruses. Okay. Loose. Yeah. Sorry. We treated them as sickness. Right. As something that we seek therapies for, you know. The therapeutic side of COVID had been completely neglected. So we, we just, we need a massive rejection of this entire lockdown uh, mandate course of top-down strategies. And it has to happen through education. One of the most exciting moments for me uh, is when, when I decided to found Brownstone, I got just like two days later a manuscript in the mail from Gigi Foster from Australia and uh, Paul Fridgers from the UK and then uh, Michael Baker also from, from Sydney. They sent me a manuscript. It's called The Great COVID Panic. I thought, wow. Started reading it. I guess I opened it up at 7 p.m. 
I knew that I was going to miss a night's sleep, and sure enough, I did. It took me 12 hours, but I got through the entire book, and I was so excited. I wrote them. I said, now I know why Brownstone has to exist. And you published that I book? I published it. It is out. Now where can we get it? Uh, you can buy it on Amazon, so okay. long as they don't censor it. We'll see. Yeah, but you can get it on. You can get it. And on what's there. the what's the theme of the book? Uh, the theme is that this is a, well, it covers group psychology uh, and the hysteria and the mass psychology. It covers has a whole chapter on virology. Right. It goes through all the data, uh, the lockdown theory, where it came from, and why it didn't work. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it covers psychology and and political reforms that we need. We need to lock down our governments, not lock down societies. So they cover everything from the beginning. It's 450 pages, and the book is great. But it's also wonderful is they create fictional characters uh, of the various ways that people have responded to these viruses. And uh, there's Jasmine, and then there's James, and then there's uh, the Karens. I forget now what they gave her name. But, but it's great because they, they, they try to fairly present you know, the, the frenzy out there. Uh, so it's good. It's, it's a wonderful book, and, and the readers absolutely love it. Anyway, they gave me the most strict deadline bill you can possibly imagine. These authors were hot to get this thing out, you know? I couldn't believe it. I committed on contract to a five-week publication schedule. Five weeks! <laughs> My friends told me, you're insane. Well, we got it done. We got it, we got it proofread. We got it typeset. We got, the, we got it designed. We got it fully indexed. got it out. And got it kindled. So I think we, I think we established you don't sleep. Ugh. Well, let me <laughs> tell you something. That book has sold so well, and yeah. I'm so happy. The reviews are just uh, outrageous. She, imagine, she's a professor of economics in Sydney, so she's ferocious, Gigi Foster. She's just fantastic. Hmm. She loves going on television and, and promoting this <laughs> stuff and taking on all the <laughs> the scientific establishment in Australia. She's just great. So I'm just so grateful for her presence with Brownstone. So she's working with us very closely, too. This book, I think, is just magic. But it's not going to just... I mean, the work of Alex Berenson's very important. Alex Berenson, what, former New York Times yeah, reporter. He's been written a lot of monographs. About yeah. And he's been wonderful on Amazon. He's been banned by Twitter, but now he's on sub, sub stack. You know, So we're all finding workarounds. We're all finding ways to reach the public. And, and it's, it's growing. His uh, Twitter impressions are in the hundreds of millions. At least they were before they banned him. That's good. Well, we've only had two shows pulled from YouTube, but uh, we're 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 getting there with this one. This this we're on the edge. <laughs> there's there's. I was doing some research for this, and I came across 30 facts you need to know about uh, COVID. We talked about. Yeah. You think it's credible? I, I love this article because it has so many links to so many things. I love putting things. And, like and, you, this and you've written a lot about this. I I have, and I've. So I've, here here's yeah. one thing I want. You mentioned all these dates, mm. and look look at this chart. This is. The, the title of this is the uh, the flu has completely disappeared mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing here, and I guess Kenny will try to get a graphic of this, um, is that each year you get a spike in the flu. Seasonal mm -hmm. goes down. Seasonal goes like this. Mm -hmm. This year there's been no spike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's because I believe that, that means everything that used to be called a flu is now being called COVID. Mm -hmm. It could be a misclassification. Okay, uh, but there is such a thing as virus crowding out. You know that 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 one, you know, particularly uh, severe virus comes along and crowds out the others that are less severe. That could also be a factor. It could be a combination of all those Both. things. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, in terms of excess death, we're not seeing them because what okay. used to be a flu is now something else. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, but you're seeing an increase in cancer 
And, uh, of course, because the screenings were all missed. Do you know Jim Agresti? He does Just Facts. He did a great right. piece. He's been following this. He talks about the number of excess deaths, not from the COVID, but yeah. from all the yeah. cost, you know, the lockdowns, the deferred uh, medical treatment, uh, alcoholism, depression, the whole Drug list overdoses. of horribles. Yeah. yeah, And I think he estimates it could be 10 to 100 times higher than the, the COVID. So the price we're paying is, uh, and, and the psychological price in our freedoms are, is extraordinary. And the public health price, that's what's amazing to me. All this is done in the name of health, you know, and in the name of public health. Yeah. And look at what we've done to ourselves. It's, it's just catastrophic. And the other thing that, that drives me crazy, and it's a major reason why I found a bouncer, I'm tired of the silence on this subject. I mean, this article you're telling me about right now, this is a wonderful piece. In order to I found it on Zero Hedge. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you try to click to the original version of it through Twitter, they'll warn you not to go there. They'll be like, this is a dangerous link. You know, this, this could have spam, it could have malware, it might infect your, your, your computer. What they mean is infect your mind. <laughs> and you have to click past the Twitter warning to get to that article. This is how bad the censorship has gotten. And it's going to get worse. You know, YouTube just announced they're going to start taking down uh, everything that, that questions even vaccine efficacy. Now, that is a remarkable thing, because this are matters of science. This isn't a matter of political doctrine. This is a matter of scientific uh, questions. The scientists need to be free to examine whether and to what extent these vaccines are working. But uh, yeah, uh, YouTube's going to be taking down anything. That's gonna, they're going to remove millions of videos. So we are living in very strange times. Uh, uh, I think we were talking before the show, it's like you take every dystopian movie you've ever seen. You know, The Matrix, Equilibrium, Hunger Games, uh, 1984. You put it, roll them all into my, one. My favorite's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, where you wake up the next day and the person you're with has a completely brainwashed or, or you think brainwashed and they think things that just couldn't possibly be true. Could possibly be true. Which, you know, it speaks to something else interesting, Bill. And I wonder if you've thought about this uh, yourself as a, as a kind of a broadcaster and a publisher yourself, um, a man of ideas. I never thought of myself as a writer as having a therapeutic kind of benefit for people. I always thought I was maybe a bit of an educator, maybe something of an entertainer. Uh, an elucidator of the world, you know, bringing the certain sort of aha moments or enlightenment. But but what people have told me over the last uh, 20 months of my writing on this stuff is that my work has been really valuable for them psychologically. It's helped them think that they are not crazy. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with uh, the brilliant Jeffrey Tucker, founder of at Brownstone Institute, and we're talking, and he made a point that I think is absolutely worth repeating, that what Jeffrey's doing is he's really providing an island of sanity, and I believe a miasma of insanity. And you can read Jeffrey's work and go on the website and look what Brownstone's doing, and you can say, well, no, I'm not alone in, in how I feel about this. And I think that's an incredible service. Um, but you are also entertaining from time to time. <laughs> I mean, you don't keep it up. Don't, don't get entirely, too therapeutic. Yeah, right. I haven't <laughs> entirely lost all uh, joy of life, but I've lost a lot. But I'm not, it's not all gone. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we, we, let, let, let's do masks. You had a, you had a great quip on masks. I, I said masks don't work, and you said? Oh, I said they work perfectly. They distinguish between the saints and the sinners. <laughs> they, they signal compliance, you know? 
That's what it's all about. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's just it's silliness. And I, I don't believe that people really think these things are protecting you from a virus. And we know that they don't. I mean, all science shows that there's cancer. There's not a single shred of evidence. These masks have done anything to control virus spread. And yet we still rally around them and still you know, repeat like this incantation, masks work. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, I think back in March of 2020, called the mask a talisman. You know, which is just a, a pure symbol, uh, a thing we do uh, to make it make us feel as if we're doing something. A little bit like recycling. You know, we're saving the planet by separating. Our, and recycling doesn't yeah, no, really it's work. Silly. Uh, so, but the, the your recent piece, though, uh, we get into the political connections, mm -hmm. and this, those seem to be real. Yeah, yeah. We should talk a little bit about this. Let's talk this, about this it. This is this is getting serious. Uh, this really began this summer when once the vaccine came out. And by the way, there were many people in my realm, the anti-lockdowners, who thought, thank God for the vaccine. Finally, we can get past this panic. Everybody will get the vaccine. Then we'll be able to open up society again, go back to normal, and people's lives can be put back together. So the vaccine's going to fix everything. That didn't happen because the vaccine was wildly oversold. Fauci, Walensky, even the vaccine companies themselves uh, promoted this thing as a traditional vaccine, like a polio vaccine or a smallpox vaccine, that it would block infection and stop spread. It does neither. And in fact, serious people in this realm said it would never have the promise of doing that at all. And it doesn't do it. I mean, we know, I mean, there's many people listening right now who know people who have got well, vaccine or triple vaccinated, quadruple well, vaccinated, well, they're well, still getting COVID. Well, well, decades were spent trying to develop a vaccine for the exact virus that we're talking about here, and they mm. failed. They yeah, couldn't sure. do it. And sure, then all sure, of a sudden, sure. magically, they go behind right. the curtain and come out, well, now we have a vaccine yeah, yeah. that works. So the problem was that, uh, first of all, it was all funded by government. Uh, they were exempt from all liability, which is actually not entirely unusual with vaccines. But uh, they had a strong incentive to come up with something. And then they wanted emergency use authorization, right? So then they had every incentive to game their the pools, the data pools, and exaggerate the effectiveness. So suddenly we heard, oh, 94% effective. And the pharmaceutical companies bear no liability for this virus. No, no. I think that's odd. Oh, yes. I think that's odd. You mean not for the virus, but, but for the oh, Not for the virus, for the, for the side, vaccine. Side effects the vaccine, vaccine. yeah. I, I think that's odd. Yeah. So it was wildly oversold, and it's underperformed. Now, we think that it's likely true that it does mitigate some severe effects from COVID from people who otherwise might have uh, been hospitalized or died. And as best anybody can tell, maybe it can buy an extra six months for people who otherwise have died. Maybe. We well, don't know the, the, the companies themselves claim only that it alleviates symptoms. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think they say that perfect prevents anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even though they're shielded from liability, they're still not making the big claim. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you have to read them very carefully. Uh, and apparently, under the emergency use authorization, I had a friend of mine tell me this last night, because I never read those things, but he said that, that they were actually downplaying the effectiveness of this vaccine, even under the emergency use authorization. So let's, do, but let's stay with the political thread yeah, yeah, that we're sorry. seeing so here, because this. Uh, this, is, this is about something. I don't understand no, this, is, this. This is so much bigger than just yeah, a vaccine. This is really important. So what, what happened, as best I can tell, is sometime in the summer, uh, the New York Times discovered a new way to think about vaccine compliance. 
If you look at the red states, they're not as vaccinated as the blue states. Now, the Biden administration starts listening to this going, that's interesting. Right? <laughs> Every regime wants to know, what do you really believe? So we have, we have a problem in this country. We have, like, secret ballots. So you can't know for sure who's supporting Trump, who's supporting Biden, who's loyal, who's not, who's an enemy of the state. How do you know? <laughs> so you'd like to have some means to find out. Well, the Biden administration, this is my theory. This is great. We've got a perfect solution to figure out who's loyal to us and who's, who's the enemy. Who are the MAGA people out there? Who are the secret Trump supporters? Who are the, the bad guys, the deplorables? And, uh, and who, who loves us enlightened, uh, you know, new totalitarians? You know, who's, who's our fan? So they use the vaccine compliance as a proxy. Now, it's an imperfect one, you know. Uh, but what's telling is that this correlation between, um, say, uh, Trump support and vaccine hesitancy, as they call it, um, it does appear on a state-by-state -state basis, but not on a county-by-county -county basis, right? So the Biden administration really, but, but the Biden administration has a problem with federalism. Am I going too fast here? The, no. pro the problem is that under our, under our system of government, the states have... We'll, we'll come back later and subtitle this so we can... <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> Under federalism, the states have certain rights of self-governance, yeah. right? They can yeah. have certain things, like, you know, and DeSantis, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, getting rid of mask mandates and so on, you know, or getting rid of uh, vaccine mandates. So Biden administration needed some way to, to go after these political enemies. So that was the purpose of the vac vaccine mandates, was to ferret out the bad guys. And it's brilliant. Because what it means is that all of his political enemies, the people that they, they think are most likely to oppose them, are now being fired from their jobs in the healthcare system, in transportation sector, in academia, and, and if, it's, if it goes through, under the OSHA rules, in every single company with more than 100 employees, they can be, feel pretty wow. sure that if they can make sure that the vaccine refuse next, uh, are fired, more than likely they will have, have uh, bankrupted uh, their political enemies. So if you want to understand this, you really have to read Machiavelli, right? I mean, this, I think, is brutal politics. Not about public health. It's not about saving lives. It's about targeting their political enemies and punishing them. Well, and they just snuck a provision into Nancy Pelosi's reconciliation bill that puts real financial hurt on through OSHA oh, for companies sure. that don't comply. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what, $700,000 mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. almost nobody can afford that. Yeah, so, it, but, no. but that's the thing that's so troubling, Jeffrey, is that this seems to be pervasive. I mean, who was it in the, in the House that went in in the dead of night at 2 in the morning and said, well, let's take page 63 and we're going to add this provision in here sure. and, and that's going to help us with this vaccine. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, the OSHA, I mean, and there's nobody up there, the Wall Street Journal ran an article the other day saying this is ridiculous, there's nothing, but and OSHA's constitution allows it to be, be, enforce vaccine mandates. It's, it's, it's preposterous. But the Biden administration was desperate to figure out some way to, to punish their political enemies and particularly but, the governors. But isn't there another fact, though, that the, the black community is the vax... Uh, sure, sure, sure. I but mean, that doesn't show up on state-level data, right? You okay. Can, you can see that. We break it down by... If you look by, at Cook County, Illinois, it's, it doesn't show up. Yeah, but no, you, I mean, okay. it's actually disproportionately uh, uh, the people that we would tend to associate with support of the Democratic Party 
who are the most resistant to the vaccines on a demographic basis, but on a state-by-state -state basis, there's some superficial plausibility to the red state, blue state uh, uh, data. So that's what they're banking on. This is a, a, uh, an attack on, uh, on Biden's political enemies, on the regime's enemies at the state level. That's what's, that's what's really going on here. And the victims are all over the place. And they're, and they're disproportionately, of course, disproportionately African-American and Asian and uh, working class. Uh, but do you, do you see any concern for them? Absolutely not. Uh, 600 employees were just fired from United Airlines. Now, you might say, and I'm, I worry sometimes about this, it's like some people just just get the jab and shut up. Well, you know, th the problem with the universal mandate here is it just stands in complete denial of all science that we've learned. I, I, it's funny, I, 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 would say, I was going to say over 100 years, but actually George Washington knew all about inoculation, and, you know, uh, people back in the Revolutionary War were, anybody died of smallpox, they'd scrape off their scabs and send them by courier to their family members so they could inoculate themselves. Like I was saying, we've known about natural immunities now. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the basis of inoculation. Uh, we've known about it. I said uh, to Martin Kulldorff, I said, um, we've known about natural immunity for 100 years. Oh, take that back, 300 years. And he said, no, we've known about natural immunity since the 5th century BC. Hmm. <laughs> so, and, and now this year suddenly we're denying it. So people who've had COVID, D don't need or want the vaccine. They shouldn't be forced to get it. Uh, that's, that's preposterous. Yeah, we had Todd DeWicke on. He was fighting yeah. with George Mason. Sure. Uh, you know, they had their vaccine mandate. He had COVID. Sure. He had natural immunity. Sure. He had himself tested. Mm -hmm. The numbers were off the chart sure. in terms of how you measure oh, yeah, that. Yeah. And they still said, well, now they settled with him and they mm -hmm. didn't require it for him, but they still have the mandate for everybody else. It didn't, I don't know what it is. That was a great lawsuit, but it was, it was tragic in a sense because George Mason still has his policies and it doesn't protect other professors. And I'm very aware of many professors, many of very sad people, they don't want to go <laughs> public, are losing their jobs. They're being pushed out of their jobs and they're just demoralized and they're walking away from the profession. This is another great way to purge academia, Bill. So it's not just about purging politics, it's about purging all of our institutions, including the military, and even the Department of Homeland Security. I had a, a note that came in uh, last night from a very high-ranking official, 18-year uh, public uh, employee of the Department of Homeland Security, very high, wrote me on his government email address, said, I don't want this crazy vaccine, but they're going to force me into retirement. Uh, I think you're saying something very radical. Yeah. And, I, we have to and, face it. And it sounds true. It's a purge. At all levels of society, the military, you know, I, I get uh, it's so sad. I mean, this young woman wrote me, she's like, an officer training school or something like that. I had one more class to take. She had had COVID. Um, she took the flu vaccine five years ago and had a really bad reaction against it. And the medical and the doctor said, you don't need any vaccine with anything like this. Again, never take that risk again. So she's terrified of it. She's being able to get this mandate post on it. Even to enroll in this next class, she has to have the vaccine. She's not being allowed to enroll, which means she can't graduate. And now she gets kicked out. She'll be dishonorably discharged. And she's going to be saddled with about $150,000, $200,000 worth of student uh, loan debt and have no job. So this is what we're dealing with. This is serious stuff. This isn't just get the jab and shut up. People's lives are being ruined. Academia is being purged. The military is being purged. The, the public sector is being purged. We're turning uh, uh, our government into a single-party state that seems to bear 
a lot of the marks of what we've come to see in China. You know, it's very scary. China. I think we're going to have to have a part two because mm-hmm. there, there, there are eerie similarities. Uh, we need to close. Let's okay. talk about where you want to go with Brownstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, can, how, can we, how, can, how can we help? Well, it's new and uh, still getting our footing, but things have gone so well. Our traffic is through the roof. I'm so pleased. And, and uh, I attribute that to the message and to the mission and to the vision and just to the research. You know, it's, it's just so needed right now. I think Brownstone is going to have to take on some of these people that are being purged, mm-hmm. uh, particularly out of uh, scientific field and, and academia. Uh, we've got brilliant historians, economists, mm-hmm. um, epidemiologists, researchers um, at all levels who are being tossed out or pressured, tenure or not. And I want to be able to give them a place to publish and a, 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 a way for them to continue the research. And Bill, this is what we have to do. We, we can sit by and watch our civilization collapse and, and, and see all the dissidents purged, see, see the, 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 the people who love freedom uh, kicked out of their drivers and starve and say, oh, I don't care. We can say that, but that's not our job. I mean, we're, we're here for a reason. We have to act. And now is the time. You know, it's, it's no longer the case. We can't just, this is not a parlor game anymore. You know, this is not about debating societies. It's, it's, it's not about just conferences and friendships and factions and all these things. Mm-hmm. This is civilization sweeping to destruction. And the sooner we recognize that, the better off we'll be. And then we have to act with moral courage to do something about it. And you can always ask the question, and people do, but will it work? And I don't know. But it's all we can do. And I know this. If we do nothing, we will certainly fail and we'll lose everything. So I'm happy to do something, whatever it is, to make a difference. And maybe we can save this. It's worth it saving. Civilization is worth saving. Freedom is worth saving. Human rights mean something. They built the modern world. We cannot just sit by and do nothing when we see it all unraveling before us. We cannot do it. Jeffrey Tucker, Brownstone Institute. Uh, We're with you. Uh, you can find Jeffrey and Brownstone Institute on the, I guess your URL is... Uh, Brownstone. Brownstone, okay. Okay, brownstone.org. We've got that. And please get in touch with Jeffrey. Uh, he's doing something that's very important, and I hope, hope we'll all support uh, his cause and our cause. You've been watching, listening to The Bill Walton Show. Uh, we're found on all the major podcast platforms, and uh, we're also streaming live on CPAC now on Monday nights. And uh, we hope you join us for our next conversation. I'm sure we'll have Jeffrey back to, to uh, dig deeper into some of the things uh, that we've opened up today. So anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. 
If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining. Mm-hmm.